Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Bobby, we're back for another another week's roundup of Rob Manfred quotes that make absolutely no sense. You ready to do an hour on this? Yeah, this is all I prepared for. <laughs> um, there's been plenty of, of developments and and lack of developments in the CBA negotiations over the weekend. So we're we're definitely going to get to all of that. But before we do I want to ask you something that has that has nothing to do with CBA negotiations? They stand. I guess they, it tangentially does. Okay. So I I don't know if you if you saw this, but for the first time in twenty years, there is no drug testing going on right now. Right? Oh yes, because, I, I did see this because there is no CBA right of of which the the joint drug use prevention. Some combination of those words. Anyway, they, they're not testing for steroids. Uh huh. And so I'm curious, Bobby, if you had to pick a player to show up to spring training just absolutely jacked, taking advantage of of the the lack of testing. Obviously, we're we're, we're talking in hypotheticals here because as soon as they come to an agreement, they're just going to resume testing. So no player sees this as a as as having free reign. But don't get ahead of yourself. There might be some players who see this as having free reign. <laughs> But who do you want to, to, to take that next okay. step? Yeah. So it's, it's who do I want, not who do I think might actually do this. <laughs> right. Yes. Who would be most enjoyable to see hooked up to have like 70 grade power all of a sudden out of nowhere? Interesting question, because the way that you phrased it at the end there pulls it in a different direction than I was planning on going. I was going to double down on someone's power. Like mm, I was okay. going to say, you know what? We could get Ioannis Cespedes back in the league. <laughs> Juice him up. Yes. Juice him up. Or, similarly, Miguel Cabrera. Bring his power back. Oh, God, yeah. You know, just give him one last great season with it, with via HGH. <laughs> he deserves that, you know? And they couldn't even use that as an excuse to keep him out of the Hall of Fame because he did it when there was no rule. Right, exactly. Although, well, I guess... Technically, there was no rule when, when Bonds and Rodriguez and all those guys that are being kept out of the Hall of Fame were accused. That'd certainly be great to, to pad Miggy's resume, get him up to like 550 home runs. I mean, he's already a shoo-in for the, the Hall of Fame, so he doesn't really need it. Right. The direction that my head went in was like, who is, who is like one of the best contact hitters in the league right now? Right, right. Who maybe has a bit of power in the bat that is uh, that hasn't been unlocked yet, but an extra 10, 15 feet on their fly balls is going to start, you know, really making some waves in the league, right? So I, I thought of a guy like Michael Brantley, who has an incredible hit tool and it's just an incredible hitter all around. And if he starts popping like thirty five home runs every yeah, year, like the MVP, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or one Brandon Nimmo. Oh, who already who already has the the bonds walk rate? He's yes. already he's already getting on base. Not quite, but yeah, not, not quite. No one no one can ever really see if you if you juiced up Michael Brantley, he would just hit 
doubles to the gap harder. I don't think he would hit home runs. He's not hitting a lot of fly <laughs> balls. No, you know? <laughs> it requires a bit a of a swing one. adjustment. Nimmo's not a bad one because he hits a lot of fly balls. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't get any other kinds of hits. So that's a good answer. I'm I'm just trying to imagine like an absolutely beefed up like 250 pound Brandon Nimmo doing his sprint <laughs> sprint around the bases. He's pretty after, big already. He's like I know. underratedly large already. Yes. Um, why don't why are we even playing around? Let's just give it to Otani and see what happens. Oh my god! Right, throwing one hundred six, exit velocity one twenty five, just absolutely pushing the limits of what is humanly possible. How quickly does do these things go into effect? You know, like could someone get really jacked in the next ten days? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Do you have to think like three months ahead for this? I think you do. I think you do. Uh huh. Um, good question. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have much insight into the actual regimen. Um, but that might need to be our next investigative piece. Is uh, how do you properly do steroids? All right. Here, here's the pitch. Here's the pitch. Okay. I'm moving back to New York in two weeks. We start doing HGH and lifting before every pod. And reporting back on what happens to us over the course of the 2022 baseball season. I'm with it. Yeah? That is an incredible uh, 2022, you're the bulk on tipping pitches. (laughs) See, I was thinking of uh, maybe trying like greenies or something like that. You know, like a little like, uh, you know, give you that extra kick in the the pants. Like before the pot, can you imagine if we just went out, went in here like wired? I know you, you're you're in the middle of drinking a coffee that is four shots of espresso, so you're not it's not you're that not... out of the ordinary though. I did run around in the snow this morning. It's snowing in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here in New York as well. To wake myself up. Mm-hmm. It's it's you and Stevie, your dog, do the same thing. I think <laughs> <laughs> you might hear my dog on this podcast because she's not used to all the sounds in my parents' home, so she barks more frequently. Even than our apartment in Los Angeles. Um, okay, so we're juicing up half the best players in the league and half the semi-washed players in the league just to see what happens. Yeah. While we're at it, can we get Nick Madrigal, Nick Madrigal some some HGH? That you know, he was he was on my list that. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luis Arise, like when you asked me that question, I was like, "Uh oh, brief panic, brief panic," because. I had to think of baseball player names, uh-huh. which is not something I've had to do for the last three months. Right. I think that's the first time we've mentioned some baseball names on this podcast. We went on a Philadelphia podcast last week, and they were like, we want to talk about the Phillies, and we want to talk about John Middleton. So I'm like, as soon as the podcast is starting, firing up the old Google, mm-hmm. searching Phillies depth chart, Yep, just to make Top sure I Phillies remember. prospects. <laughs> Philly's depth chart. Phillies, the team that my team plays 19 times a year. <laughs> Mike, uh, can I name more than more than four players on the Phillies? You know, I who think was that, that guy who crushed the can, the energy drink can <laughs> when he was running in? Who was that guy? That's right, Jojo Romero. <laughs> you know, I think shit. that I think that says more about the Phillies and and the state of their roster than it does about you as a baseball fan. I think yeah. most most yeah. fans are probably in the same boat. There's like a couple gimmies on there, and right. then everybody else. I'm like. Man, D.D. Gregorius is still on the Phillies? Yeah. There's sure. a guy I used to think about way more. I know, right? Ugh, love him. Although, isn't he, isn't he like, like anti-vaxxer? Didn't he have some questionable COVID takes? He what baseball player hasn't, I guess? Claimed that the vaccine gave him some injury. That oh, right. It didn't. Mm-hmm. But that's 
that's neither here nor there. We're now completely off the rails in the in the intro to the Should podcast. H- hook up with Nicki Minaj's cousin. Um, <laughs> Nicki Minaj's cousin, if you're listening, <laughs> reach out to Didi. Um, all right. Well, we do have some news on the CBA front, as you alluded to. The MLB put forth a 130-page full CBA proposal to the union yesterday um, as we sit here and record this on Sunday. Uh, there was also some shenanigans about whether or not MLB should have to pay minor league players for coming to spring training and working. Then we have a couple listener questions to do at the end. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wag. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. I think getting really into lifting in HGH would be a great bit, particularly for you. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Just start start <laughs> going on forums. <laughs> Bodybuilder forums. Can I become like a like a fitness influencer? I think you could. Here's the thing about you. Yes. Tell me the thing about me. <laughs> there are many things about you, all of which are phenomenal. The thing about you is that you could be good at pretty much anything if you just put your mind to it, you know? Uh yeah. That's the yeah, the human condition. I have I have faith in you. I've seen you become good at things that you had no idea how to do, like host a podcast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or like make a website, code a website, you know, all this stuff you just teach yourself. Right. It's not like you studied these things. So yeah, you could become a fitness influencer pretty easily. If you really committed to the bit, I think two years or less. Because you could get some really good before and after pictures. Right. I was just about to say everyone loves the uh the like the showing of progress, you know, and boy, do I have some some progress that I should be making. People are going to be like, "Wow, <laughs> how'd how'd you get that much out of that little?" We could spend quite the tale. Um, you know, you hated how much you were just sitting stagnant mm-hmm. in the pandemic, doing jobs where you're just not active, hosting a podcast, sitting around talking. So you decided mm-hmm. to take back the reins of your life. That's what you decided to do. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I have this this little podcast that I do, tipping pitches, and and uh, as of as of late, um, my my girlfriend has started has started a food Instagram on my behalf of dishes that I'm making. So right, I'm really right. just plug like, it. you got to plug the I'm the handle. Plug really the handle. How are you going to become a fitness influencer? If you, you know, you know. If you know, you know. Um, <laughs> but I'm really just going all in on the on the influencer route these days. Those two things could really inform each other, you know? You yeah. have you have the the meals you make to talk about the bulk mm-hmm. and then you have the workout routine. But the one missing piece which will tie it all back to the intro of this podcast is where the fuck do you get HGH? I, I don't yeah. know where. You got to know a guy. I would I would think so, right? I mean, there are certain types of I think over the counter drugs that like do have, you know, marginally the same effects but obviously not nearly to the magnitude that just injecting that shit straight into your veins would do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know i wonder if i could ask my doctor out of curiosity well we know alex rodriguez is listening that's true <laughs> mm-hmm. although i'm sure he's disavowed any uh <laughs> any any links to steroids as of late okay your burgeoning influencer career aside alex we did have some other news from this past week that is Slightly more relevant to Tipping Pitches' interest. MLB passed back a full CBA proposal 
to the union, 130 pages. But before we start breaking down the details of that proposal, as relevant or irrelevant as they are, as Groundhog Day as they're making us feel, I wanted to talk to you about one Robert D. Manfred, commissioner of Major League Baseball, who I will say, how do I put it politely on a podcast, inflamed the larger baseball public this past week when he decided to give a press conference from the Major League Baseball owners meeting, which is currently happening in in Disney World. (laughs) Why is it happening in Disney World? I never really understood that. Um, I think it's just happening. you You don't think that owners deserve to have a little bit of fun too? But that's the thing. If owners want to have fun, why are they choosing Disney World? Like, what fun is there for owners? Is it because that's that's the only class of people that can actually afford to go have fun in Disney World? <laughs> <laughs> Disney World was actually not designed for children. It was designed for 60-year-old billionaires. Yes, exactly. Billionaires do just want to have fun. It's true. How would you describe Rob's press conference? Because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for a way to describe it to listeners who didn't follow this on Twitter or see the quotes as they were coming out in real time and everybody was really getting mad 0 to 100 very quickly. He he kind of just spoke to the media to to lie for 30 minutes about the state of baseball ownership and the state of financial interests in the game so that he could try to bend public will towards the owners amidst this lockout. I don't know if there's any other way to categorize what he did last week. Yeah. It was a real banner week for quotes coming out of MLB's camp. I mean, you can have your pick of the lot, and I'm sure we'll we'll dive into and pick apart some of the more choice quotes. Uh, but it really it harkened back to a time when uh, when we had a, a president not too long ago who was who was known for very obviously getting up on stage and and lying, and the media would struggle to really define what it is he was actually saying, trying to maintain a, a veneer of objectivity. And, you know, if he's going up there and, and, and speaking falsehoods about the state of the game, you know, I, he is delivering uh, alternative facts it, from, from, yeah, exactly. But that's really like what it reminded me of is a guy who's going up there and lying and kind of knowing that he is lying, but understanding that it suits the narrative that he's trying to push. It's particularly frustrating to us because we spend so much time on this show trying to like parse these words, parse these concepts, parse media's reaction to them is that there probably is like the smallest kernel of truth Mm -hmm. in what Rob was saying. And I guess we should provide a little bit of context for the people who didn't see his press conference, see the quotes getting streamed out. The one that really, I think, kicked it all off was when Rob said that, quote, historically, the return, is be- the return for owning a baseball team is below what you'd expect to get in the stock market. And I think that this set people off for a lot of reasons, but, but before I break them down. It's frustrating to people who pay attention because it's so obvious that he's lying. But it's even more nefarious when you dig more into it because I think that there is a whole subset of people who see that quote and they'll be like, that's probably true and never think again about it. And so he knows that it's worth pissing off the people who know that it's false 
because that is such such a small subset of baseball fans that the lie is then worth it, which is why he keeps going up there and telling lies like this. And when he was pressed about the facts behind that statement, the facts that could make that statement possibly true enough for the commissioner of baseball to go up there and tell it to the media amidst an owner's lockout, he said they conducted an internal study with an investment banker who he wouldn't name. Like the lack of accountability, the lack of transparency, it, it makes those phrases look irrelevant. Like it makes those phrases look not even worth speaking out loud on a podcast. Like that is so, such a slap in the face. We conducted a study with our own hired investment banker. And he said, actually, it's really, really convenient the results we found, guys. It's actually way worse to own a baseball team than to invest in the stock market. And then Rob was like, it's a good idea to go say this out loud. It just displays such contempt for the fans of the game and frankly, the the media who is covering the game that he would have the confidence to go out there and, and say this sort of thing. And, you know, just uh, a couple weeks ago, The Athletic published a a story that actually investigated this very point that showed that like over the last couple decades or whatever that uh, you know own ML investments in MLB teams have far outpaced the S&P 500 right right and so it's it's you know it's remarkable that he <laughs> because i'm sure that he has minions who keep tabs on everything that's being talked about in the media and and why he would See this? Come you don't out think it was him it's... listening to MLB Network when he decided to kick Ken Rosenthal out? You think that he had some minions that really maybe forwarded that one to him on email? I don't, a part of me thinks that maybe he is a bit masochistic and and just enjoys reading the the athletic articles that point out his obvious lies. Yeah. Oh, right. Because Rosenthal wrote his his criticism in the athletic. That's true. <laughs> Not not on MLB Network. Um, so does that mean there's a there's a small chance, small sliver of a chance he's listening to this podcast right now? You know, I I don't know if he's listened to it. He might be aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's not toot our own horn too much. I don't think he's aware of it. I anyway, don't think he back has to any your idea point. who we are. Back to your but point. You don't even need a study like that to prove that that this is false, right? You we instinctively know that. Owning an MLB team is a good investment. You can just look at the increase in franchise valuation over the period of time in which you own a team. You can just look at the number of billionaires who line up to purchase an MLB team when one goes up for sale. Even the the Wilpons, for example, yeah. who notoriously screwed over the the Fran- the Mets franchise due to how do I say this politely getting swindled uh, with, <laughs> with outside investments. Um, you know, I was reading I was reading the Wikipedia page for Bernie Madoff not that long ago, just uh-huh. in my free time, right? And there are some people who speculate that the Wilpons didn't actually even lose any money; they just used the idea that they lost money to be cheaper with the Mets and make even more money. Some I people love think that, that conspiracy theory. Fred Wilpon made money on the Bernie Madoff thing, which. Like, my whole world was flipped on its head when I read that. <laughs> I know. I mean, the thing about that is that it requires giving them a lot of credit 
for being financial masterminds, which I don't know that I'm willing <laughs> I'm willing to do given just the the fail son legacy over there. Yeah. But it also I billionaires have done weirder things, you know. Yeah, I mean, I could see them letting that persona fester and then they're just doubling up their money behind the right. curtains. It's, at a certain point, once you put the narrative out there, it takes on a life of its own. You don't even like need Inception. to keep perpetuating it. Yeah, exactly. Um I'll just follow up. Travis Sotchik is the one who tweeted this quote from Rob Manford when I saw it first. And um, Travis followed up to that tweet and said, since 2002, S&P 500 return is plus 308% and MLB team values are plus 564%. Now, Rob went on to clarify that their internal assessment includes money put into clubs by owners, which we don't have access to, that information. Um, I struggle to imagine why they wouldn't make that information public unless that information led to us seeing how much money they're actually pocketing. Right, unless it contradicts the statements that are being given. Yes, exactly. I seriously doubt that they used public funds towards stadiums to increase their return on investment. You know what I mean? Like in their calculation, uh-huh. I seriously doubt that taxpayer money was counted as money for owner X, even though it is a subsidy to their investment. And the part that's so frustrating, well, I thought that Jake and Jordan at Cespedes Family Barbecue had a really smart immediate response, which was that aside from the fact that this is untrue, it's also not what we're talking about here. These are already the guys who own baseball teams. They already chose to own baseball teams. You're the commissioner of baseball. If you want to make more money in the stock market, go do it. Go do it. Nobody Mm -hmm. is stopping you. Literally no fan would stop their team owner from selling the team Mm -hmm. like what fan would be like no we've loved your ownership reign so much if you sell the team everything is ruined no fan would do that so what i just don't i I struggle john John fisher's grown on me (laughs) (laughs) i struggle to understand well maybe meds fans would try to stop steve honestly but we've talked about their sicko shit but i struggle to understand what rob manfred thought he was accomplishing with this and how he didn't foresee this immediately blowing up and starting a new cycle. But maybe, I mean, maybe he's playing the three-dimensional chess of if the new cycle is about me, it's not about our shitty proposal that we're about to give in 48 hours. Yeah, there's there's certainly no baseball fan that's like, I really wish our owner was getting a better ROI uh, on this baseball team. You know, we haven't been very good but I'm wondering what this does to my owner's overall bottom line. No fan is like, I wish owners treated my baseball team more like a stock, (laughs) more (laughs) like an asset purely tied to its dollar value. I know. Regardless of how the product itself is actually doing. The fact that he's even drawing this comparison is like, where are we and what are we doing and what dimension have we slipped into? It shouldn't be the same, but it is. And you're admitting it by saying these are the things that owners are weighing in their decisions. The last thing I'll say on the stock market comment, and then I know you have a couple other comments, a couple other quotes that you'd like to read from Rob and Major League Baseball. But the last thing that I'll say is, and and I tweeted a thread about this, as I am wont to do, to organize my thoughts before we record this podcast. It's just a, it's an extraneous hypothetical to start talking about the stock market. Because in the stock market, you actually have to have the money to buy the stocks 
Like you actually have to buy the stocks to make the money. Whereas in baseball, you can take out a loan. Like try taking out a billion dollar loan and being like, I'm just going to put it into the stock market. See what the bank says to you then. But if you say, I'm going to take out a billion dollar loan and buy a baseball team. Oh, look, you have a baseball team because the bank knows that baseball is a guaranteed moneymaker. It's, it's too big to fail. It's an antitrust exempt 30 business collusion racket that is America's pastime that fans keep coming back to no matter what. That local cable will fork over $100 million a year to fill their airtime. Banks know all that stuff. And that's why... And so do billionaires. So do the billionaires that buy the team. And so does Rob. Is the most frustrating part. And he knows all that stuff. And then he goes up there and gives press conferences like this because he thinks that fans are too stupid to realize it. I just love the notion that Rob Manfred, the man in charge of baseball, is getting up there and saying, yes, this product that I am in charge of is a bad investment. You should not be investing in the sport that I run. Oh, (laughs) okay. So you're bad at your job? Like if, if if your job is to look out for the best interests of the owners and you are saying that baseball is an incredibly risky, volatile, poor investment what does that what does that say about you and your job if it is true yeah but this is the kind of mental gymnastics that you have to do to try to make it seem like you have any ground to be standing on when you're fighting over money in a labor negotiation right when you're the owner side and there are 30 of you and you're splitting half of the 15 billion dollars that mlb makes per year or more than half and you're bullying local governments into giving you sweetheart deals for stadiums and your antitrust exemption. And you refuse to pay minor leaguers. And you make billions of dollars in other industries in a lot of cases. This is the kind of mental gymnastics that you have to do to even slightly skew the playing field in the public to be able to act like you should be arguing for more money in a CBA negotiation. Because it's ludicrous, man. It's ludicrous. If Rob came out and actually said the truth of what's going on, they'd get steamrolled by the public, which is why they won't ever actually release any of that financial information. It's pretty remarkable how much time we can get out of a out of like a 20-word a quote from Rob Manfred, right? Yeah. Does he realize his quotes are just fodder for uh, entire segments on our podcast? He's the never-ending fountain mm-hmm. of tipping pitches content. Uh, were there other quotes that you wanted to read from Rob from Major League Baseball? Uh, well, there was another um, flat-out lie that he said that you know may uh, offer us an opportunity to kind of discuss what was in the actual proposals, which I think you have the details for, and we can go into real quick. But he, yeah, but he said tax rates are the status quo. He's referring to the most recent proposal. Tax rates are the status quo. They're the same rates that are in the expired agreement. That's uh, that's that's not that's not true. Um, not not close to true. If you've actually been reading the reports that have come out, again, I'll I'll let you uh, do the dirty work of revealing the details. But MLB would like to double the penalties for going over the competitive balance tax threshold. That just doesn't 
read to me as being, quote, the status quo. If you present something that is different from the thing that existed prior to right now, that feels like a new proposal. Maybe maybe he mixed up what he was actually talking about, Alex. Maybe the status quo he was referring to was the actual competitive balance tax number. He'd like to keep the status quo there because MLB's response on the competitive balance tax threshold was um, instead of the $214 million threshold for the first three years and then $216 million and $220 million that they had proposed previously, they decided to give the generous $214 million for the first two years, then two sixteen. Then two eighteen, then two twenty two. They went up two million dollars. They went they went up two million. Let me just say that one more time. Two million dollars, which wouldn't even come close to covering inflation. <laughs> like <laughs> when we're talking about <laughs> sums of money this high, like two million dollars over the lifespan of a CBA, it's laughable. Like the teams, the big money teams that this is supposed to be affecting, like the Dodgers and Mets, the Yankees are a different story, but the, like the Dodgers and Mets and the Red Sox, they frequently, when they do choose to go over it and stop treating it like a salary cap, which it's not designed to be, they blow well past it, as has been much documented. Like they use that argument out of the other side of their mouth. They're like, well, teams are spending way over it. it just goes to show that the, the threshold should be higher, right? But then they propose something because they want to keep treating it like a de facto salary cap. They propose something that is not different at all, really. And then, yes, like you said, the penalty for going over it, they've decided to eliminate draft pick penalties for going over. Instead, they've opted to propose something that would be a a stiffer financial penalty for going over the competitive balance tax, which you would pay a 50% penalty for how far you go over and then a 75% penalty in the in the repeating year and then a 100% penalty for how far you go over. So if you go $10 million over in the third year, you pay a $10 million fine, essentially. In addition to $10 million that you're already paying over the tax. You know, So that is, as you laid out, very different from the status quo. And they want to they keep the status quo on revenue sharing is what they're saying too. So they don't want to change the amount of revenue sharing that goes to smaller clubs, which the union, as we've discussed, does want to change because they want to disincentivize profitable losing. So I don't know. There there are other elements of this CBA proposal that are, I guess, slightly interesting. They're only Each side is only moving $5 million on the pre-arbitration bonus pool, which means we're going to be here until July before they actually get to a number that they can agree on at this rate. Um, MLB hilariously continues to say we'll reward ourselves if we don't manipulate service time through their proposals by putting something in the CBA proposal that says they'll get two draft picks within the player's first three years if he finishes in the top three three in Cy Young Rookie of the Year or MVP voting so they're giving themselves extra draft picks for not manipulating service time (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny yeah But again, I I find it not as useful to discuss every single detail of the CBA because we don't know the details with which they're being proposed until we actually get one. From a more general sense, Alex, was there anything coming out of this weekend that makes you feel any different about 
where we are in terms of the baseball calendar? Not really. I, I mean, I think that I think people were obviously hoping that coming out of Saturday, there would be significant progress or that they'd be much closer to a deal. I don't think that they were ever actually going to agree on something on Saturday. They were never going to actually come to a, uh, a deal that they both agree on. This the, the realistic expectation is that maybe they would make progress or the league would make concessions or they would start to find more middle ground, which that didn't even really happen. As we saw, the union was, quote, very underwhelmed. Although Rob made sure to remind people smugly that they're one big breakthrough away from a deal. We're always Mm -hmm. one big breakthrough away from the deal. Yeah. I wonder wonder who has the ability to kind of burst through, to break through, as he's describing. Which which side has the chance there? Yeah. What would that that mean? What would that breakthrough look like? Hmm. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well. The the lockout can end at at any time. Just your, your weekly reminder. (laughs) <laughs> there's one there's one side who's keeping the lockout in place. Um as far as the timeline that we're on, again, I don't think like things have changed from they were, where they were last week or 2 weeks ago. The league still probably has about 2 weeks or so, right? Spring training starts in, at the beginning of March. We're at the midpoint of February or close to it. If if, you know, if we don't have a deal by March 1st, that's the point at which I think you we're past the threshold of having a full season, right? Yeah. At this point, it already seems, you know, quote unquote in jeopardy, but it's so hard to kind of prognosticate and read tea leaves when we really don't actually know what's going on behind closed doors. So it's, it's a fool's errand to try and make predictions about it. But I, you know, as a fan, I think you kind of just have to be in a holding pattern right now and just keep your fingers crossed and and not just because I'm supposed to go to a bachelor party uh, in spring training. So that would uh, just, you know, crossing my fingers there for multiple reasons. <laughs> wow. Really making the the macro micro for yourself there. I love that. Yeah. You, you know what? I am. Uh, I'm a single issue voter. <laughs> Hit them where it hurts. The bachelor that, parties being hosted at spring training. <laughs> Rob, won't Rob think of the bachelor parties? <laughs> um, Manfred keeps repeatedly saying it would be disastrous for them to lose games, and I'm like, how disastrous are we talking? Mm-hmm. Put put some context behind that, Rob. How disastrous would it be for owners? Because we know how to quote unquote disastrous it would be for players. We know how much players make. We know how much they would lose. We know how much they're giving up by wanting to get a CBA. How much are you guys willing to give up? Mm-hmm. And also, there's something so sleazy about the way that he keeps saying it would be disastrous for us to lose games, knowing that that is like the go-to line for fans and for media who don't want to have to think too critically about this, who are like, oh, it would just be so bad for the game. It'd be so, so bad for the game to lose games Alex millionaires and billionaires just can't they can't figure it out and you know who gets hurt it's the little the guy. little guy the little yep. guy the one who wants to host his bachelor party at spring trading <laughs> that guy's not getting his deposit back um speaking of spring training I'm glad you brought that up unless there are any, is anything else that you want to talk about from the CBA no I don't think so the 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 final quote 
I think is the is the one that speaks to this this topic that we are about to discuss. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you take it away. Spring training is coming up, beginning of March. Um, currently, the major league players, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard, they're locked out from that spring training. They're not allowed to attend legally because the owners have orchestrated a lockout, a a defensive lockout against those (laughs) players. Stay away. We're playing defense from you guys. You guys are just going to come in. Um, Players who are not locked out of spring training, Alex, the only labor pool who is not locked out of spring training who actually plays baseball games in spring training, that's minor leaguers. So it would seem to me that their value is higher than ever as it relates to spring training. That is just a theory that I would posit towards you, my friend Alex, and the listeners of the Tipping Pitches podcast. Um, that theory is not shared by Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball, as according to an Evan Drellick tweet and article, Major League Baseball is arguing, quote, it is the players that obtain the greater benefit from the training opportunities that they are afforded than the clubs who actually just incur the cost of having to provide that training. Therefore, minor leaguers will not be paid or should not be paid for attending spring training and doing their job of baseball at spring training. Alex, um, does that does that argument hold up for you? There is nothing that people who own an MLB team love more than complaining about all the tasks that it takes to own a baseball team, like paying your employees, training your employees. Like what is the business that you thought that you thought you were getting into? Oh my God. I know they are incurring the cost of having to provide that training. Yes. Yep. That's kind of that's kind of the deal here. Been this way since Branch Ricky. Been this way for a long time. You incur the cost of training baseball players so that they can get really good at baseball. And then you can get your return on investment once they're really good and a bunch of people want to buy their jersey and watch them play baseball. That's the business right there. For anybody listening who wants to own a baseball team, that's it. That's the business model. Should we also just never pay them then? Because it costs money to hold games, should be, they just shouldn't get paid at all then. Well, I mean, they're getting paid an experience. Actually, now the more that I think about it, I, I do think playing baseball should be an unpaid internship. Mm-hmm. Because if you get really good at baseball, then you can just like become a motivational speaker. Why make any money doing anything? Because you are gaining the currency of knowledge in, in your field. And that, my friend, you cannot put a dollar amount on. Right. And if you invest that knowledge back into yourself, that's a foolproof investment. That's the stock that always goes up. So true. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for A-Rod's vlog about this. <laughs> okay, but seriously though, how you can possibly try to not pay minor leaguers for being the only ones who are going to show up to spring training because you locked out the major leaguers, that is truly mind-blowing to me. It's beyond comprehension. It's, it's completely beyond comprehension. And just goes to show that these people have genuinely not one ounce of shame in their bodies. You know who makes money off of spring training games is team owners. That's when they start losing paychecks. So 
the idea that they are quote in incurring the costs of training without you know neglecting to mention that they are also receiving the profits that said players said interns are are making for them is it's a joke yeah it's a joke sorry as long as we're saying stuff i'm incurring the cost of working yeah. so pay me but, like what 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 are you talking about we could just say anything then I'm incurring mm-hmm. the cost of losing sometimes half my day to doing a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm incurring the cost of being in a different city away from my family and children. I'm I'm incurring the cost of not having another job that actually pays me a living wage. I'm incurring the physical cost that it takes to my body to play baseball. Should we keep going? Like everybody is incurring costs here. Some people are mm-hmm. compensated for those costs. Yeah, that the <laughs> I have I have no other rational thought to add to this. It's just one more one more thing to throw in the pile of bullshit that MLB has been toting around yeah. this week. I don't even feel like I'm doing a good job being a podcast host. I'm just kind of yelling. Like I'm not I, yeah. this feels like a very reactionary episode and I'm I'm sure the listeners can tell that it feels very reactionary, but I don't know how else to feel at this point as we sit here on February 13th and owners are not putting forth serious proposals. Every player on the union is mad. Every player on the union committee is mad. And at the same time, they're like, by the way, hey, you're not going to pay minor leaguers for spring training. It's like, anything else? Anything else? Why don't you just get it all out now, guys? Because the season has to start at some point. So why don't you just say everything that you want all at once? Stop trying to trickle it out. You're using child labor? Okay, cool. Cool. That's fine. That was coming. Do you want to expand your human trafficking racket to a different hemisphere (laughs) of the globe? Anything else? No. Get it off your chest, Rob. Are you going to kidnap any politicians to give you local tax breaks? Like, what What else? Yeah. Libby, Libby Schaff, mayor of Oakland, has been uh, conspicuously quiet in recent <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Maybe this is finally when they're going to institute our playing baseball, playing spring training in international water so that they don't have to pay minor yeah, leaguers at all. There you go. <laughs> That's a deep cut for the old tipping pitches listeners right there. Mm-hmm. Um, should, should we take a break and come back and do listener questions? Or should <laughs> yes, we keep theorizing we... about what baseball owners should do? What crimes baseball owners should commit? You know, when we look back on this like a year from now, one of these things will have come true. So oh. I think it's a good I think it's a good exercise. I think the over under is like two and a half for which of those things yeah. will come true. <laughs> um, okay, we'll take a quick break and when we come back, a couple of listener questions. Okay, Alex, we have two voicemails to play, one DM. We'll start with a voicemail. Hi, guys. It's Becca. Um, okay, I have three things I want to get to, so I'm going to try to do it in the uh, limited time we have to leave voicemails. First of all, I think it's really funny that even though it's just a voicemail, we still have to sit through all the rings before we get sent to the voicemail box. Um, no one's going to pick up, but we still sit here like someone actually is. Okay, second of all, non-baseball related question. Bobby, what are you most and least forward, most and least looking forward to about living in New York again? Um, and then I have a baseball related question. Do you guys have any strong opinions on high socks versus low socks? I feel like I don't have a strong opinion about the look of it, but I think that it's positional. 
Like, if the catcher came out onto the field with high socks, I would be really thrown off. Or, like, I think high socks are very much like a reliever look. Not to say that they can't wear low socks, but I just kind of associate it with that. Okay, looking forward to the next episode. Talk to you guys later. Uh, okay, a three-parter, Alex. Three-parter. Part number one. Uh, I think, technically, we could answer the call if we had the Google voicemail browser or Google Voice, whatever it's called, browser up on our computer at the moment that you called. Seems very unlikely, but that's why it rings. Because <laughs> you could use it as a phone. Um, part number two, I got to think about this for a second while Alex Baisley answers part number three. High socks and low socks. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? I've always been a high socks guy. Yeah, me too. I just, I just think they, they look so slick. I love the, the burst of color that they bring. I love the, the, the fashion statement that they can give. You've seen some players uh, roll out in socks with designs on them. The Dodgers notably have, have had some, uh, some like palm trees on their, on their socks. There's a, a burgeoning Cause industry. Because of, of Los Angeles, you know? Right. I think, I think that's the Southern, yeah, SoCal. Yeah, Southern California. And you know there are even uh, different different degrees of high sock wearing, right? Are you the Hunter Pence high sock over the knees? His was are you gnarly. more? Yeah, it's super gnarly. He looks yeah, like are a you football punter? <laughs> I, I respect it. You're never gonna forget how he looks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I played I played second base growing up, and that always felt like a felt like a perfect high sock uh, position. I get the positional difference, but I also think it's there's something about the kind of corny look that is really just like visually appealing. Uh, and this doesn't even get into the, the argument of like high socks versus stirrups, which like if you're going to do high stocks, if you're going to do high socks, go all the way, right? I, agree. I mean, stirrups are just cream of the crop. Here's my thought. You already look so ridiculous while dressed up in a baseball uniform. Like that doesn't look like anything normal so why not just go as far as possible why not just if your amp is at eight why not just turn it up to 11 exactly and so if you have the option in your bag go stirrups like i think stirrups looks really cool especially for like a starting pitcher you know it's very old yeah it's very old timey a starting pitcher or a reliever or whatever and it is visually appealing on the mound it's just something about the way that it, it accentuates the way their windup works, you know, with your feet moving, the footwork and everything. And I don't know. I, I wore my socks high. I did not wear stirrups because I was like 13, you know, like I was <laughs> I didn't have the um, the equipment budget that Major League Baseball players have. Right. I was just rocking with the same like semi ripped old high socks. But that's OK. Yeah. That's OK. I, I kind of think that wearing high socks gives you a more slender look which is why i think that maybe like a like a first baseman wearing high socks feels a little weirder than like maybe a shortstop wearing high socks but like then you again joey vado weird i that's beyond the pale <laughs> we could never so insinuate loopy. that joey vado is weird <laughs> miguel cabrera has has rocked the high socks he's known for rocking high socks so like honestly i I mean, if you're Miguel Cabrera, you could wear no socks, and people would probably be like, "Yep." Uh, it's, Think about how big his calves are going to look after he gets a couple cycles of HGH going Duh, for this right? season. 
Anyway, that's where uh, that's where I stand. High socks for life, stirrups for life. Yep. It's like my one crotchety old traditionalist baseball fan take. All that being said, there definitely are some guys who I think would look silly with high socks. Yeah. And name name names. Joey Gallo. Okay. Is there is there a rationale or is it just kind of like he's you know, too you big know when you see it? <laughs> yeah, you know it when you see it. Well, that's kind of what I was saying about like the like the first base, third but base. But Aaron sort Judge of thing. wears high socks. How do you think those look? I think they look a little weird. I gotta admit it. But he's welcome to wear his socks as high as he wants once he's on the New York Mets. <laughs> bring him, bring him mean, aboard. Like, bring him aboard. Yankees don't sign him. Bring him aboard. Cross town. You don't even have to move, yeah. Aaron. One uh one shortstop for the New York Mets is uh is on board with the high socks. Who's that? Who's that guy? Oh, right. Francisco Lindor. He's on the Mets for the mm, next 10 years. Yes. That's cool. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of Francisco Lindor being on the Mets for the next 10 years, the third part of Becca's question, which was actually the second part, part which we skipped over, uh, what am I most and least looking forward to about moving back to New York? One of the things that I'm most looking forward to is going to watch Francisco Lindor play baseball in person all the time uh, with my friend Alex, who's on the Zoom screen with me right now. Uh, but I don't I don't know that if that's the thing I'm most looking forward to. Probably just being right. in more generally speaking, I prefer New York. I feel at home there. I'm closer to family. I'm closer to friends. As as cheesy and obvious as that sounds, that is the thing that I'm looking forward to most about moving back to New York. And also Alex mm-hmm. getting to dog sit for my dog. That's right. I'm looking forward to that for him. What am I least looking forward to? Hmm. Being under the tutelage of Eric Adams, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you kidding? So such an entertaining mayor already. We're already getting our money. Spent. I know. If they're not going to do anything for us, it might as well be funny. You see, he's he's doing like a like a press conference or like a meet and greet with drill rappers to address like gun violence, yeah. hip hop. Just fucking sure. His man. video when he was running for city council or whatever he was running for, where he's like walking around finding like crack cocaine underneath vases in his kids' mm-hmm. room. Right. Showing parents like where to search for the crack that their kids are doing. Yeah. Pulls a crack pipe out of the zipper, like the pencil zipper compartment of his eight year old's backpack. It's actually way funnier than anything SNL has done since yes. the turn of the millennium. Yeah. Um, that's not really what I'm least looking forward to. Honestly, what I'm least looking forward to is like two days after it snows and every puddle, every corner is just a six foot wide puddle. That doesn't happen in Los Angeles. Let me tell you that. <laughs> that does not happen there. Uh, but that, that's probably it. That's pretty good. Really windy days when it just breaks your umbrella in half and you just have to throw it straight in the trash. Like it's trash cans are just umbrella war zones. Yes. Yeah, snowy, snowy, windy days. Not, not. Not the vibe. On the convert, other other weather patterns. On the flip side of the Francisco Lindor thing, I'm I'm not looking forward to going to a Mets game when it's cold and they blow it in the ninth inning. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not looking forward to. I haven't. I'm not looking forward to Edwin Diaz blowing a game while I'm at the game. I haven't seen that in my life. Um, but it definitely is going to happen. That's definitely Mm going to happen. Probably the first time we go to a game together. It's a little surprising it hasn't happened already. I'm really looking forward to going to minor league games with you. Yeah, I guess we still got the Cyclones out here. Yeah. RIP to the Staten Island Yankees, although so based Staten Island Yankees taking down the MLB's antitrust <laughs> That's <right>. exemption. <laughs> That's right, bro. Uh, and, but yeah, we can, we can go to Cyclones games and see my beloved Francisco Alvarez. 
Although mm-hmm. he might just start a triple A this year. I don't know. He's amazing. Yeah, uh, he's really good. All right. Are you ready for the next question? Yes. Okay. Then this next question came in a DM from a listener who asked us not to name him. Do we think that athletes in pro sports unions think about the labor management dynamic when they take a stake in pro teams? So, for example, LeBron James, heard of him, has a stake in Fenway Sports Group. Patrick Mahomes owns a piece of the Royals. Giannis owns a piece of the Brewers. But more generally, for other athletes who have even smaller, less high-profile stakes in team ownership in other sports than their own, do they think about what that means for the relative solidarity between players' unions in other sports? Alex, you want to take a stab at this one? Frankly, no. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they really consider that because if you're if you're buying into a baseball team, especially given that players, you know, are usually not the primary money man, they're usually minority owners, right? Come in as as part of an ownership group or something like that. You are are likely viewing this. More as an investment tool than you are an opportunity to enact change or or bridge the gap between players and owners, right? Especially knowing that the players who are able to buy into ownership groups are likely ones who are making hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. and maybe have more in common with an owner than they do with a you know a rookie player. Is it possible that in backroom discussions, um, you know, internally, like among an ownership group, that a player is able to provide some perspective? Sure. Maybe. Do I think that, do I think that the other members of the ownership group would take kindly to someone on their team advocating for or at least pointing out the position of the other side no not not really i think if i think if you're gonna buy into a sports team the people you're doing it with probably trust that you have some level of solidarity with them and not with the people across the table yeah or they wouldn't sell you the steak (laughs) right exactly um not not to be like everybody who's bought a steak in an ownership group of a sports team who's a retired athlete is a scab. But what are we talking about here? Like the, the dynamic is owners versus players. The dynamic is management versus labor. That's, that's capitalism. And I think that when a player buys a ownership stake in a team and has like good intentions of it, it just strikes me as this very neoliberal worldview that you can like enact change from the capital side which I don't think is true. You know, I I don't really buy into that. But there is a group of people who do. And I think that, to be honest, like I think a lot of athletes share that worldview. And so I don't think that like, I very much doubt that like players on the Brewers think it's bad that Giannis owns part of the Brewers. I think it's like, the lesser of two evils. You know, you'd rather have Giannis and Tedekumpo on the other side than like faceless Wall Street executive X who doesn't care 
and understand what it takes to be an athlete. But at the same time, it's the larger structure that presents problems for you as a union. And so I don't think that Giannis or Pat Mahomes or LeBron should be like excommunicated from their players union. But I do think that there should be a reasonable amount of pressure levied against them if they are part of even tacitly part of actions that are making it hard for other sports unions. Like what, what do we have here besides that? Like what do we have other than sports unions standing up for sports unions? What do I have other than media unions, my sister shops standing up for me when I'm trying to get something and me doing that for them. And so if during one of those fights, players find themselves on the ownership side, I think that's a massive conflict of interest, to be honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that those people should be making decisions for the NBA Players Association, frankly. If they, I, I think that they should have a say, but I don't think that they should be able to like, like I would not vote for those people as president of NBA of the NBA Players Association because all of these things are interconnected. Like the CBA of one sports league does set somewhat of a precedent for the CBA of an, of another sports league, or it like sets a template that owners are all often trying to get. And I think I think particularly in the NBA, there seems to be more of a, an investment opportunity to to get back involved in ownership groups in other sports just because of the extremely influential nature of being an NBA star and the extremely public-facing nature of that. So the NBA probably is the league that has the most former players involved in ownership groups. And I think that that is like a step towards something slightly better in sports ownership than what we have now, which is just like the the capitalist sitting at the top of it, profiting off of it while having basically nothing to do with the exhibition of the sport. But I still think that it's like a small step, not a, not as large of a step as those kind of neoliberal pro-capitalism acolytes would have you believe that it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's telling that those current players who do have a stake in a professional sports franchise are are by and large not the ones who are actually sitting on the their their union's executive committee, right? Except LeBron, James except LeBron is, was. I, he was the vice president he, of yes, the Players he, Association. And then that was before he had an ownership stake in the Red Sox. But still, he had a huge role in the last CBA. Oh, for sure. I and and I don't think that negates the the influence at all. But I do wonder if if his other if his league mates, you know, take that into consideration at all when doing said voting, right? Mahomes yeah. is, Patrick Mahomes is his team's player representative. So clearly he has some, clearly he has a seat at the table and, and you know, a voice in negotiations. But I have to imagine he is not the outsized voice in the room, right? I know but, nothing about I the get, NFL players. I, I don't either, so... <laughs> I know that they get cleaned up at bargaining every six years because their player pool is recycles very often and their owners have a mm-hmm. lot of built-in um, power. Yeah. I mean, all, all this to say, I think that if a, a former player was really interested in enacting change on behalf of the players, you would probably go work for the union rather than for the owners. I like would welcome really, that though. I, buy a team and then and then give it to the players or like give them everything they want. That would be sick. Yeah. That's an that experiment we have not seen happen yet. Yes. 
Uh, okay, I think that's enough on that question. Uh, last question is a voicemail. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Alex. This is Micah again. Uh, I just want to say thank you for answering my voicemail last week. I appreciate that. Also, extremely entertaining listening to you guys talk about your eating habits. I did not expect it to go that long, but I'm really happy that it did. Uh, okay, so obviously uh, our beloved Mob Ranfred addressed the media today, as I'm calling it's Thursday. Um, and I need to make a disclaimer. I am not optimistic because he said he's optimistic. I'm trying to be optimistic because he talked, like, uh, as he talked about the agreements that they have made in the CBA negotiations as far as, like, universal DH and, like, the no draft pick compensation and the draft lottery, like, all things that I think are objectively good for the league. Um, so, yeah. So, like, I'm trying – I guess my question is, is it fair to be a little more optimistic or like a decent bit more optimistic than I was, say, a week ago, because now we know they have agreed on things that aren't just good for the owners, but good for the league in general. So, yeah. Thank you, guys. I don't think it's bad to be optimistic. I mean, we spent the first hour of this podcast being pretty pretty pessimistic and reactionary, but I think that Micah is right that there have been some things that are agreed to, particularly, I mean, Universal DH is good for the players, not for me, but for the players. <laughs> um, and no draft pick compensation is good. Uh, arbitration pool of money is good. I think that the thing that makes me pessimistic and frustrated and just kind of tired of talking about some of this stuff is how, it, how it's been like pulling teeth to get those things. Like These are things that should have been agreed to in December. And we're sitting here in February and we're still pretending like this is huge movement from the owners. I think that's probably the reason why I'm a little bit less optimistic than it sounds like Micah is. But the counter to that is the reason to be optimistic is like, yeah, players seem like they're not going to take a shitty deal, which in the Mm -hmm. long run is good for the game if you kind of see it through a similar lens to us. Yeah, I think you said it. I mean, I'm not, I don't lean optimistic or, or pessimistic one way or another because just I think realist? the jury but exactly yes no I'm ju- I, uh, I'm I'm you know I favor objectivity you know I'll okay. I'll wait I'll wait to see until all the cards are on the table um, I mean honestly I think it's you know it's too early to really say I think there's no real point in being optimistic or pessimistic about this because I ultimately it doesn't, you know, it's not going to impact the direction of the negotiations and I won't be optimistic until we have a deal. Frankly, I am my biggest, uh, you know, optimism comes from seeing the player solidarity, right. And just how vocal that they have been. I think that's the biggest thing, as you said, because it's an indication that maybe they're not going to roll over. So I don't know that I see these smaller agreements that they've come to as wins necessarily. They, as you said, I mean, they feel more like layups, like they were kind of a given already and so, sure, it's a good thing that they did it because if they didn't agree on that, they sure as hell weren't going to agree on anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but I, they're obviously still super far apart on some of the key issues affecting the sport right now. And so we kind of just have to let it run its course. I'm just, I'm just happy that, you know, that they were able to agree on those few small things 
while getting over the tremendous hurdle, Alex, that is the owners having to negotiate with the hidden hand of the game's top agent, Scott Boris. You know, it's just like tipping pitches to not mention this bombshell until an hour and 10 minutes into the podcast, but New York Times political reporter, Michael Schmidt, for reasons unbeknownst to me, and I, I, I assume you, unless you were reporting this tweet with Michael Schmidt, Michael Schmidt tweeted, baseball faces its greatest labor crisis since the World Series was canceled in 94. The owners are increasingly convinced Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer have had their power neutered and that owners are actually negotiating against the hidden hand of the game's top agent, Scott Boris. So, um, long answer to your question, Micah, is it's good that they were able to extract. It's good that Scott Boris was able to extract these moderate concessions from the owners um, after having having neutered Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer. His influence knows no bounds. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> what happened here? Your best guess as we close out this podcast. Why did this guy tweet this? Um, I think he probably knows some people on the ownership side. And the ownership side is, you know, rightfully from their position at least, peeved that the players have not rolled over. And this is their attempt to try and make someone like Scott Boris into the bad guy because that's kind of one of their MOs every offseason, right? Is to point out how Scott Boris is ruining the game by negotiating big contracts or, <laughs> or s- speaking in tongues. Uh, <laughs> I would simply like to know whose signatures go on those contracts other than Scott Boris and the player. Do the do the owners have to sign those? Alex? Mm-hmm. Do the owners have to agree to do that? Is their boogeymanning of Scott Boris like we've been had by Mr. Boris? We thought he was with us and he's stabbed us in the back. Like he's a player agent. What do you want him to do? He's doing his job. It makes no sense to me why they think that fans are going to respond to this weirdo dark smoke-filled room plan to make Scott Boris to be the enemy of this whole CBA negotiation. I just don't understand it. It's all misdirection and it's like crazy town. And I I feel like like my sense of reality is skewed when the New York Times political reporter is coming in out of nowhere to tweet this about Scott Boris and then never follow up on it. Like he just never said anything else. After that, right, and and as a labor lawyer and baseball Twitter favorite Eugene Friedman pointed out, he's he's accusing the MLBPA of an unfair labor practice. Like this is it. This is not just a casual uh, piece of conspiracy that he's just tossing onto the pile. Like this is a if that is what is happening. If the the, if the players' union is sending people to the table who don't have the power to bargain on behalf of the union, that that the, that's that's it's not illegal. allowed. It's what's called illegal. Mm-hmm. It's just, man, I just feel like someone is going to come out from behind a door and be like, "Bobby and Alex, you've been punked. This whole thing is actually agreed to already. We've just been creating a very strict, a, a very narrow." Weird reality for your podcast. 
in which a New York Times political reporter who used to cover baseball in the early 2000s is going to tweet that Scott Boris is the secret guiding hand of the Players Association. I don't know how to respond other other than that I appreciate that whoever is pulling this on us, yeah, whoever is doing the punking here has listened to enough of our podcast to know just how mad this would drive us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's, it takes a really intimate knowledge of you and you and my neuroses to craft an alternate reality this hyper specific <laughs> that just perfectly gets under our skin. So kudos, kudos. I'm waiting for Ashton Kutcher to jump out. <laughs> Simulation theory thriving at the end of this episode <laughs> of Tipping Pitches. Um, thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Not sure what we're going to be talking about. Um, of course, I've alluded multiple times now to the reporting of a special climate series about climate and baseball. And Alex and I are still hard at work on that. It's it's going to be coming up in the coming months. If you are interested in the topic of climate and baseball and have anything that you think we might be interested in, please write in tippingpitchespod at gmail.com, tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Uh, as always, you can acquire yourselves some Tipping Pitches merch at tiny.cc backslash nationalize and you can call our voicemail to be featured on the show 785-422-5881 and please do call our voicemail because um chances are we're not going to have a cba to talk about next week so we'll need something to talk about (laughs) alex anything else for the wonderful listeners of this year podcast no, unfortunately, I have to run. I have to go and eat a spoonful of protein powder and do CrossFit in the snow. So I got I to gotta dip, but... CrossFit's uh, not going to get you the size you're looking for. Cross, I, yes. you're, burning, you're burning too much of those gains off. What you want to do is you just want to sit there and pump. Just mm-hmm. pump. We'll talk about it offline. Do some creatine right, monohydrate. Right. Let's go. Keep, keep an eye on the feed, folks. Until I get my own up and running, I'm going to be using tipping pitches to, <laughs> to post, <laughs> post my progress picks. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping Pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!